the Ridge Life Podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We've been here in the book of Philippians here. We're just really close here to to wrapping this up. And um, we've been uh, spending the past couple months here here in this passage out of Philippians 4, uh, verses uh, 10 through 19 here. And uh, we're going to revisit uh, a portion of that passage here this morning. And we've been talking about contentment. And we spent a couple months talking about um, what contentment is, how you can be content. Uh, we, I think we did about three messages where we dealt with life situations, everything uh, ranging from loss of job to um, you know, health problems in our lives and how we can be content in those. Uh, we gave you some things that many of you filled out asking questions, how I can be content in this situation. And I hope it was a help to you. Hope that uh, you were able to grow uh, through that. And um, I know uh, last week, Jeff had spoken on uh, giving and I think he did a really more about giving job on that. And uh, we're actually going to do some things talking a little bit more about giving, but not in the sense of what Jeff talked about. A lot of things that we're going to talk about is going to have some similarities and some parallels to that, but we're going to look at it in light of Paul's situation and his contentment that he was able to grow in uh, as he was there under house arrest and uh, how the church was, uh, was being used to help him uh, in his time of need. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you uh, for today. Uh, when the church learns how to supply others, we will grow in our worship to God. When the church learns how to supply others, we will learn, we will grow in our worship to God. So let's read our text here in uh, Philippians 4. We're going to begin here, verses uh, 14 through 20. He says here, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we remember where Paul was at this time. He was under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, He had found himself in prison. Oftentimes he had found himself, uh, we read some of those things about him being shipwrecked, beaten with rods, uh, where he was uh, uh, five times received uh, 40 lashes, uh, save one. Uh, Paul had found himself in a lot of circumstances where he, it was difficult for him. And if you can remember, we talked about the thing where he says, in all these situations, whether I'm abounding or whether I don't have what I need, he says, I have learned how to be content. 
And that contentment is a mark of spiritual maturity because it's something that we learn, it's something that we grow through of how to be content in those situations. And uh, only a child of God, those that know Jesus Christ as their Savior, can be content because those that aren't uh, Christians, uh, they walk according to the course of this world, uh, they follow the, their own fleshly desires, but for us that know Jesus, we can be content because of what Paul says, the secret was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we have this thing about contentment, and Paul continues on here about this, about how the, how the church gave to him, and it was, it was something that he wasn't seeking, but it was a help to him. And that's really what I want to hone in on here this morning, how the body of Christ can be used to help one another when we are facing these times of difficulties and hardships in our life. And you'll see that here as we go through our text here this morning. So here's a few things that I want you to notice. First of all, we are called to share and bear with each other's burdens. As the body of Christ, as believers in Jesus, the church, you, me, all of us, we make up the church. The church is not these four walls and windows and carpet. The church is the body. It's a living organism. And the church is called to bear and share with one another in their burdens. When we think of Paul's situation here, he was very content. As we just spent uh, this couple months here on contentment, Paul had just stated earlier that in whatever situation he had found himself in, that he had learned how to be content. The verses that flow out of that uh, from uh, verses 10 here, um, it's this thankfulness that he has towards his fellow believers in, uh, in Jesus Christ. Because look what he says here. It's this expression, this gratitude that he expresses towards this Philippian church. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. They had sent him a need that he had that was needed, but he said, I really don't need this, but it was very kind of you to do that for me. One of the things that we see when we are faced with difficult circumstances in our lives is that it allows the church, the body of Christ, to help and provide a need to someone else. Notice Paul's words here again. Look at verse number 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And so he's expressing this gratitude, his thankfulness towards these other believers in Christ. And as we had learned, contentment means to be self-sufficient, meaning you don't need help from the outside. You're self-sufficient in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is everything that you need. And Paul says, I've learned that secret that I don't need things from the outside to make me content. But he says, it was kind of you to share in this and to provide whatever need it was that Paul needed. Could have been medicine. It could have been some type of monetary gift. It could have just been the presence of having Epaphroditus come there and be with him. But whatever it was, Paul says here, he says, it was kind of you to share with me in that. 
Did Paul need that gift from the Philippians? No, but it was, as Paul said, very kind. In verse number 10, uh, Paul rejoices in all of this. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so Paul commends them and he's rejoicing them in the, the, the concern that they had for him. And the gift is simply the tangible expression, if you will, of the concern that they had for him. And I think this is where we, when we think about giving as, as kind of like what Jeff talked about last week, as a believer in Christ, yes, we should be giving. But I just want to take it a little bit further than just the, just the monetary means, okay? Because I think sometimes when we hear about that thing about giving, the very first thing that we think about is money. But what is the tangible expressions that we as the body of Christ can be used, whatever we have, that can be used to help somebody else? Yes, money is, is one that's, that's very tangible, but there are other tangible expressions that we can use to help somebody in their time of need. Look at verse number 14. Paul, said, Paul commends them here for sharing in his affliction. Notice again how he fo the focus is on his relationship with them. He does not say that they are alleviating his affliction, though certainly their gift was very helpful to him. He doesn't say, well, I'm so glad I got this from you because, wow, now I'm able to actually live life. He doesn't say that. He says, it's kind of you to share in this. Paul's perception is that though they're, through their gift, they were taking part in what he is going through. They are sharing in it with him. They are in partnership together with him. Let me give you an example of this from Scripture. And there's, a, there's another element in this about this giving, this sharing, that makes their, their sharing in Paul's uh, uh, affliction more than, more than just uh, uh, theoretical and emotional. Turn with me over to uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians and uh, chapter number 8. Because we get this, 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 this picture of this giving as what uh, Paul talks about here uh, to the Corinthian church. And uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, uh, look what Paul talks about here. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now think about those words. Those are very powerful words that, that, that Paul is using here. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, he didn't say abundance of wealth here. He says the abundance of joy, and then he says, and their extreme poverty. What did these Christians actually have? Not much. And he says, out of all of this, he says, overflowed in a wealth of what? Generosity on their part. And so He's telling us here that they were suffering their own afflictions in life, yet their desire was to share what they had with Paul. 
That is the mentality of these believers here at Philippi. That they cared so much for the body of Christ that even though they had nothing, they were willing to share whatever it was they had to help another believer in Christ who was in an affliction as well. So this was not the first time that they had helped Paul out because uh, we actually read uh, in verses uh, 15 and 16 here in Philippians, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And he says, you entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. And so from the time that Paul had started that church in Philippi, the Christians there would contribute to help Paul in his ministry in other churches. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, again, looking at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 3 through 5, it adds that they gave according to their ability. And beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. And Paul says they actually went so far as begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints, in verse 4. And so this was beyond Paul's expectation of what they would ever do. I mean, this just like blew him away of how much they cared and were willing to share with him in his affliction and burden. And they did all of that because they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to them by the will of God is what verse five indicates. And so the Philippians here are a very good model for us to follow as believers in Christ they did not give because it was convenient. They did not give out of their excess funds or spendable income. They gave sacrificially. What's interesting is they did not expect anything in return. And is that not our mentality today? I mean, you invite somebody over to your house, and then what do you expect in return? That they're going to invite you over, right? That's, that's our mentality that we have. You know, you bake cookies for somebody and then all of a sudden, oh, wow, they baked me cookies. Oh, wow, okay, right? So we have that mentality, but that wasn't Paul's view on this. He wasn't expecting anything in return. What was he gonna get? Nothing. What could Paul give them? Nothing. So there was, there was, it's more than just this monetary means of giving. It's actually sharing with somebody in that affliction. And I believe that too often, uh, as American Christians, we tend to give out of our abundance as it's convenient. But yet, these believers here, they gave out of their extreme poverty and affliction. And they gave towards Paul whatever it was that uh, he was in need of. And so the Philippians gave because of their love of God, desire to be partners in Paul's ministry, um, which in this case included uh, his affliction. And they did not give to get, but they gave as an offering towards them. And obviously, it's, it's obvious that they trusted God to meet their needs, because even Paul reiterates that, and he says that my God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. Um, I think that there's, there's, some, there's some really bad teaching with a lot of this thing about giving, uh, especially you'll find it on like the 700 Club, TBN, people like uh, Joel Osteen, uh, the, uh, uh, the Baker guy, uh, Kenneth Copeland, all that kind of stuff. You know, they, you sow the seed money, right? You put the money in and God's gonna give you a blessing, right? Um, that's not what these Philippian believers were expecting in return. 
And uh, Paul even makes note of that um, because Paul's own example in this passage is against that kind of teaching. Um, he says that out of their extreme poverty they gave, and Paul could not give anything back in return to that. Uh, there was an interesting uh, poll that was done by Times in 2006. It found that 17% of American Christians identify explicitly with that movement of, if I give, I'm going to get something back in return, okay? Uh, 31% espouse the idea that if you give your money to God, God will bless you with more money. And then I found this interesting, a full 61% agree with the more general idea that God wants people to be prosperous. The Christian life is not about this life. You have to remember that. It is for eternity. Okay? This, this life is just brief. Everything here is brief, very brief. It's all for eternity. And so these Christians here were trying to help Paul in a time of need. Now look at the text here again in Philippians verse 14, because look what he says here. Share in my trouble, verse 15, he says, you entered into partnership with me. Verse 16, you sent me help for my needs. You see, as believers in Christ, all of us have experienced times in our lives where we are going through difficult situations and hopefully God has, and perhaps is now maybe even, helping you to learn contentment. That you're learning this, that it's a, that it's a maturity, it's a, it's a spiritual maturity thing in your life. Um, perhaps you found yourself in a hard place, but now you're learning and you're growing. Uh, do you know what it means to receive an unexpected gift in those times? It's, it's huge. It's huge. I can recall several times in my life where we were going through difficulties, and those difficulties may not have been known, but the gift that I received, not monetary means, but it could have been a gift of friendship, it could have been a gift of someone, a listening ear. It could have been a gift of someone coming alongside and saying, hey, just want to let you know I've been praying for you, right? These, these, are, these are expressions of help that the body of Christ can give towards one another when we are going through difficult times. And so God does that, and he, he allows the church to be taking part in things like that. And it's not that you needed that, but it was an act of kindness uh, to you and, and a help to you. It was a tangible expression of concern. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times that when I was working through times of my own spiritual growth, when facing those difficulties, hardships, uncertainties, God used a fellow brother or sister to come alongside and to share with me in my difficulty. Not that I needed it, but... Uh, it certainly was a blessing and a reminder of God's love and grace towards my life. And this, this is why I say it's so important for the church, the body of Christ, to be sensitive to God's leading, right? Like when we, just, just take a look around everybody that's in this room right here. Just go ahead, turn around, look at the person behind you, right? Look at them, right? All of us here are part of the body of Christ, God has gifted every single one of us uniquely with certain abilities and gifts. And he wants the church to be working together using those things 
so that we edify one another. That's exactly what was going on here in the Philippian church towards Paul. Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse number 2, reminds us a good of this one. It says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so be very sensitive to God's leading because right now, even as we're speaking, there's probably marriage difficulties that are going on in this church. There's probably thoughts of depression that are going on in this church. There's probably other believers that might be struggling financially, okay? We need to be sensitive to the needs of others and we need to be asking, God, how can you use me to show a tangible expression towards a fellow believer of Christ in the body of Christ here? And that's how we edify one another. That's how we build each other up through all this. Paul says, not that I was seeking it, but it was kind of you. It was a, it was a wow, I can't believe that, that God knows my situation. He knows what's going on. Look how he used the Philippian church, they don't have anything. They're in extreme poverty. They're in a much affliction, but yet they're, they're giving towards me. That's what Paul's attitude was towards all of that. So we are called to share and bear with each other's burdens. Here's the second thing. When we supply others, it's an act of worship. Notice in verse 17, look at this language that Paul uses here. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul very specifically states that he did not, he was not looking for the gift. He was not writing to them saying, hey guys, I just want to let you know uh, my oil is running low, uh, the, um, my pens are running out of ink, uh, I'm running out of paper. Um, I, he didn't send them a list of things that he needed. He says, I'm not seeking the gift here. Paul was not after what other people might give to him. He had learned to be content and gratefully received whatever it was that came through uh, by another believer in Christ. And uh, Paul was much more excited about what the gift said, however, about the godliness of those believers in Philippi. Uh, the King James uh, translates uh, this verse well. Um, and it says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now, here in the ESV, it says, uh, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. There's quite a uh, difference there in the translation reading. Uh, in your Bible, you may see the word uh, profit that is being used, or even uh, in the NASB, uh, the word credit. Um, uh, there in the NIV. Now, those words are, are very acceptable translations of what Paul is saying here, but the word fruit here, okay, has a stronger connotation more than profit or credit. And I, I like that reading of, of fruit better with that uh, because if we look at it as profit or credit, it can almost express the wrong type of thing. You give to get. You're giving to get credit. You're giving to get a profit. But Paul says it's a fruit. Uh, it's an expression of their godliness, of, of their lives and how they're living that out. And so uh, Paul was expecting them 
to receive increased uh, uh, blessings, okay? And, and not, not in the sense of material blessings, but praiseworthy blessings. Look at this church at Philippi. Look what they're doing. Look how they are giving. Look at their expression of their love towards the ministry and the gospel uh, through all of that. And look at the, the phrase here as well. He says, uh, to your credit or account. So he says, he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit or in other translations, uh, account. And it's the idea, if you, if you look at those words, it carries the idea of being in speech or in word. He says, I'm seeking the, the credit or the praiseworthiness of what you have done. Not, you know, like, all right, I gave a dollar and, oh, going to put it there and, hey, I get back $5. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying the praiseworthiness of your expression of your giving. And so this is all consistent with Paul's expressed desire for all the work that he had done and that they would always be increasing in godliness. Because if you could remember back in Philippians 1, verses 9 and 11, he says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And so their gift to Paul came because of the fruit of righteousness in them. They were growing in their relationship with Christ so much. They realized that God was using them and they were, they were giving a tangible expression to share in Paul's uh, need there. What practical evidence is there of the fruit of righteousness in your own life? If you were to examine your own life and as Paul says about increasing, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and the glory of God, um, what, what practical evidence is there of the fruit of righteousness in your own life? Paul says it's praiseworthy of how he could praise what the Philippian church had done for him. And again, that's why I look at the body of Christ as us as believers is there an expression of praiseworthiness as we, the body of Christ, that we can praise God for what he is doing in your life and in your life and your life and how he is meeting needs because he is using his body to share the burdens of those needs? So that's what this is about. This is what church is about. See, Church is not consumer-based. It should not be consumer-based. That's what we have in America today. Everything is very consumer-based. You come here, you get this, you did that, you get this, you get that, and you're consuming, 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 consuming. That is not the gospel. Church is supposed to be about giving, 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 giving. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And again, not in monetary means, but that the church is being used as the body of Christ to help one another and share and bear one another's needs. And so when we supply others, it's an act of worship because look at this, look at this, uh, this language that Paul uses here in verse 18. 
He says, he assures them that not only has he received from Epaphroditus this gift, right? He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Remember what Paul said about Epaphroditus earlier in Philippians chapter 2? Uh, verses 25 through 30, he said, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and my minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So re- receive him in the Lord with all joy and, su- and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So here's Paul. He's in prison. They send Epaphroditus with gifts to Paul. Epaphroditus is spending time there with Paul and he gets sick. And Paul says he almost nearly died because of his service to do what was lacking on your part. And Paul's now sending him back and he's writing this letter and he's telling him, hey, I'm sending Epaphroditus back here. Thank you, I did get the, the gifts from Epaphroditus. And I love the language here, what Paul uses here, because look at this, look how he uses these points that he says um, that he, he received this and what he received, it was more than enough and it was an offering to God. Look what he says. Uh, he says, first of all, he had received full payment. This phrase was common in commercial transactions back in that day to communicate that full payment had been completely paid in full. It's done. It's, it's completely paid for. Then secondly, he says, and he said, Paul had also said, and more. So not only receive full payment, but he says, and more in abundance from them. The word here, more, means to abound, overflow, excel, exceed, have plenty, have more than enough. It's a super abundance. Remember what these believers were. They were poor, extreme poverty. But he says, I have received full payment and more. This, this super abundance from these believers. But then thirdly, Paul also said that he was well supplied, meaning filled to the full. What they gave was lacking in nothing. It was not only a full payment, but it was up to the top and then overflowing. I remember as a kid, we used to go over to grandma's house for, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas and stuff like that. And uh, grandma always had pop for us. And I remember my grandma had these, these glasses that looked like goblets, okay? They were, they were round, then they had a stem, right? And here's my brother and me, right? We'd be like, whoa, 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 you know, we're filling it all the way up to the top, you know? And, you know, then it'd like overflow and, you know, and we get in trouble and, you know. So if you can picture that, like what Paul's talking about here, it's an abounding and overabundance, well supplied. It's, it's filled all the way up to the brim, as he said, that their, their care and their concern that they had uh, for Paul. 
And uh, Paul was very overwhelmed by their gracious gift. But again, we find that Paul quickly moves to something more important than that. And it was an act of worship. Now, don't miss this because I think that this is, this is just a beautiful picture of our worship towards God when the body of Christ is working together and we're supplying and meeting the needs of others. Paul said their gift was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And this is the language that we find in the Old Testament, uh, especially uh, when you find in Leviticus there, uh, Leviticus uh, 1, uh, chapters 1 through 8, of the idea that you had the altar there, and the altar, uh, an animal was brought, and the throat was slit, the blood was poured out over the altar, and then that, uh, that, 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 uh, that, that sacrifice there was then lit on fire, and the, 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 the smell of that went up, and it was a fragrant offering to God. And Paul says of our giving towards one another, the sharing of one another, he says it's an act of worship and it's a fragrant offering to God. It's acceptable sacrifice and it's well-pleasing. And so the sacrifice here that Paul talks about, he says it's an act of worship that they gave towards them. Uh, Paul uses the same language actually over in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Verse number two, and he talks about this. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And he tells us that that's how we need to be living our lives, be imitating of God. Be, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as just Christ also loved you. And be offering yourself just as Christ offered himself. That's how the, the body of Christ should be working together. And so the gift that they gave Paul was not only the practical outworking of the fruit of righteousness and their desire to share in Paul's ministry, but it was also an act of worship to God. And the same is true of us. If we are loving each other, we're walking in love towards one another, and we are fulfilling and meeting the needs of our other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a fragrant offering and an act of worship towards God. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 puts it this way. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And that's what the Philippians did and why they did it. We need to do the same. If all of us were to give some thought and prayer and ask, Lord, who needs supplied? In this body of believers, who needs supplied? Asking the Lord that specific question, Lord, who needs supplied? And I, and I think this is where we really go off on prayer because sometimes in prayer, we're always asking things for us, right? What about now asking, Lord, who needs supplied? In the body of believers here at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship, who needs supplied? Who needs help? How can I be a tangible expression of your love towards another believer in Christ? And God will 
reveal that. He will show us and he will lead us exactly who needs that. Here's the last thing. The gospel reminds us of how to give towards others. Look what Paul says in verse 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The Philippians have been more than generous to him. And so he reminds them that God would supply all of their needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How much are the riches in glory in Christ Jesus? How much is that? It's everything. It's infinite. There will never be a lack on God's part. But notice well that Paul made this more personal and called them to follow his own example by saying, my God shall do these things. You see, the same God that Paul had learned to trust so that he could be content in all circumstances would enable them and us to do the same as well. Are you learning to trust God in that manner? You see, again, if you remember that the Philippians were poor and that they gave beyond their means, it meant that they had to sacrifice of something of real need in their own life in order to be able to give towards others. And so we can only do that if we can recall the gospel. We can recall what God had actually done for us. What did God do for us? Well, God simply tells us in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, as hopeless lost sinners in rebellion towards God, God gave his one and only son for us. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But God extended his grace. He extended his mercy towards us so that we might come into a relationship with him, so that we would be brought from death to life by believing the gospel, believing that Jesus Christ paid for our sin debt realizing that we were in rebellion against God and repenting of that and turning towards Jesus Christ. And so the gospel message that Jesus, what he had done is a great example for us to recall and remember, God has done this for me. What am I doing for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to help them in all? In, in their time of need. Notice how Paul sums all this up, verse number 20. In view of God's marvelous provision, Paul ends this passage with the praise to God. Look what he says. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul refers to God with both the general term of who he is, he's God, but also with the personal term of a relationship that every Christian has with him. And what is that? A father. So he has adopted us as his children. Our God is worthy of all glory forever because of this very nature and character. My wife and I, we just, we just came back from uh, Ohio over the weekend. Uh, we went up to a wedding that, we, uh, that I officiated there uh, in Ohio. And it was for a girl that we had known uh, ever since she was like in second grade. So we've had this relationship with her for quite a long time. And um, 
we went up there, enjoyed our time together and stuff like that. Well, after the wedding, we decided we were going to shoot up towards Columbus and over to Cleveland because we're going to be dropping Jamie's uh, mom off. And um, so we go up there, and we were going to go to the zoo. Didn't work out. Um, So we were looking for things to do there in uh, Columbus. And I saw that they put in a place called Scene 75. Now, I was familiar with Scene 75. We used to live in Ohio, but it was there in Dayton, right off of I-75. Well, they put one in Columbus. And so we went there, and we were, you know, they had bounce houses and all kinds of stuff inside. They have a drop tower. It's in an old mall, you know, and roller coasters. It's all kinds of stuff in there. So we went in there. We were just hanging out and stuff. Well, Jamie, Evelyn, and my wife were busy doing something else, and I was just standing up there. I'm not kidding you. I was just standing up there, just waiting around for them. So I'm just standing there, and this person comes up to me, and they say, do you work here? And right away, I'm thinking, hmm, what should I say? (laughs) So I said, what do you need? And they go, well, I have my little card here, and we lost it behind. They're showing me the receipt. They're like, I had a card here. I lost the card. It fell behind one of the games. Can you, can you get me another card? I said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go downstairs? There's a, uh, there's a person down there. They, they're running the, the kiosk thing. I said, go down there. I'm sure somebody will be able to help you out. Okay? So they go, go on their way. And I'm not kidding you. It's like 30 seconds later. Somebody else comes to me. Hey, do you work here? <laughs> I said, what do you need? They said, can you make change? I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't have change. But if you go downstairs, there's a person down there that's got a kiosk, and they'll do that, right? And I just think so much, right? Like, I didn't work there. I'm not a part of that. But we are part of the church, okay? I think oftentimes what we think many times is the only one that can do anything, the only one that can minister, the only one that can be a help to anybody in the church are the elders. It's not the case. God has given all of us, the church, the body to function together as a whole. And so what part? So if somebody comes up to you and they're telling you something, what do you need? How can I help? How can I bless you? How can I help you through this difficult time? Even if it's just praying for them, that's what we're called to do. We're called to share and bear with one another in burdens. And that's the idea that the Philippians had in their giving towards Paul. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.